You're listening to FabRadioInternational.com, and more importantly, you're listening to The Bookworm. Hello, I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... Siloid again. Hello, everyone. So, um, just in case you're like, hmm, I appear to be, be talking around current affairs very vaguely, it's because we're actually away. This is actually an echo of a conversation you once had. You're, you're tuning into an empty radio station and there's nothing coming out of the speakers. Either that or it's a pre-record, one or the other. Uh, on today's show, we are talking about things that are all bloody and warhammery. Yes, we have headed into the realms of fan fiction and tie-in fiction. And we will be talking about things that are warhammer. I'll be talking about Valkyrie the Bloody and Sai. I'll be talking about 1992's Beasts in Velvet. So we have that to come up. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about football. Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fabrizio International. So, in case you don't know what Fort Bubble is, it's an internationally recognised indie comics festival that's based in Leeds. The city of Leeds has an entire week of sequential art-based nonsense. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's a big festival. It ends with a big comics convention. Now, it, there's, there's kind of a little, little bit of a strangeness here because Britain ha- now has two major comics conventions that kind of fall on top of each other. And we're not talking about things like MCM, we're talking about comic conventions where comic creators turn up and talk comic business. Uh, and then geeks like ourselves turn up and go, hey, that sounds cool. Um, it's part of the book game as well. It's kind of quite closely tied these days with the publishing industry, so you get lots of authors turning up to pimp their wares and publishers turning up to also pimp their wares. So we have two. We have The Lakes, which we've missed, which is very much a, you go off to Kendall it's the middle of nowhere, and, author, and authors and artists, you know, seriously draw and talk to each other. And then you have Fort Bubble, which is a great big nerd party with some mm-hmm. really, really good panels. Um, we'll be covering it slightly more depth when it actually hits in November. But when is it, producer? Uh, it is from the 9th to the 16th of November this year, with the Comic Con on the 15th and 16th, which will be a Saturday and Sunday. I know that you're scheduled to go on the Saturday for Starburst. Mm. Um, my, my, myself and um, some, some select types will be wandering around taking photos, asking awkward, awkward questions um, and there's all sorts of really cool guests going as well we've got um, Danielle Calcetto from uh, Girls of Slingshot who is kind of famous if you know who she is um, who else is going? Uh, Adam Hughes Ooh. Mm. Um, oh, that's, let's find the things so well prepared (laughs) Natasha Allegri I may have pronounced that wrong I apologise keep talking Uh, I gather that Jamie McKelvey and Kieran Gillen Scott Snyder oh Scott Snyder names that we know yay Uh, John Allison that looks interesting John Allison's awesome he's he's always there I mean he he does you know he's a webcomic artist and I think he's kind of local to the area by which I mean he lives in Great Britain Uh, (laughs) Dowell Cunningham uh, Kieran Gillen and Jimmy McKelvey will be there, presumably prim- pimping The Wicked and the Divine, which we will have to talk to at s- talk about at some point, because The Wicked and the Divine is kind of like urban fantasy David Bowie. Mm. 
Ooh. Oh, okay. It, uh, it's, a, it's about, essentially, you're a teenager, and um, you get this offer from a god, essentially. You get to live for two years as a god. Okay. Um, uh, but, you know, you live fast and die young. Uh, so that's the deal. Um, which, you, which is a bit... Um, but, but harsh. But when you were... It's kid, all parable-like, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, and also, you know, you're quite young... So you the, the the reason these gods introduce themselves to the young is quite clearly because you know someone a bit older might be eh, no um, and also you know they they are they so young and pretty is the whole thing right uh, it's a very much a kind of beat combo style thing I'll review it properly at some point but um, uh, if you get a chance to see Kim and Gillen talking about Britney news Kim and Gillen um, does an excellent talk on the Watchmen. Uh, if you get a chance to go and see it, by the time the show goes out, you'll have missed his show at the um, at Gosh Comics in London. But it's really good and it's really interesting. And I could go on for hours about Eternalism and Watchmen comics, but I'm not allowed to because producer Al will hit me. Yes. Uh, so what else is happening at Fulham? Uh, the 2080 comic competition. For which, if you're thinking about doing something for that, you might want to start preparing now if you haven't done already. Mm. Is that where you bring your portfolio and go, please hire me? Um, this is this is slightly different this year. Uh, you have to submit your entries in person on the Saturday the 15th. Um, they've drawn up a sample script um, for what looks like Judge Dredd, and they want you to draw your own version of it, bring your effort to the portfolio sessions. That's quite specific, then. Mm-hmm. 2000 AD are very good for the fact that they have um, that they have a big kind of wodge of submissions, and at any time you can send them a, um, a script, a future shock, shock script, um, and they do read through them. And most of them, most people apparently, most people don't read the guidelines uh. or the advice. So a lot of the stuff that they get gets rejected quite quickly. But they do take the time to kind of read through and write um, full-on rejection letters and proper <laughs> feedback. So Full on rejection, rejection letters. letters. Well, not not just a polite, no, thank you, <laughs> but a brutally surging one. I, I expect nothing less from Fargonite, to be fair. A right jelly and hotshot is in the post. Um, ah, bless. I could I quite like. I could do with a right jelly and hotshot this morning. Actually, It'd make me feel uh, make me feel alive up until the point that it incinerates my nervous system. Obviously. <laughs> Um, so, so uh, what else is happening at Fulbable? All sorts of cool and funky stuff. Yes, there's, there's lots of there's lots of things that are, are lo- largely based around film and stuff uh, yeah, for, the, for the week in the run there, in, yeah. in the week in the run up to the actual uh, Comic Con. Um, most of which are in Leeds um, at various venues, um, including the lovely Hyde Park Picture House. Um, so you might want to go and check that out. We will put, and we promise we will actually do this. We will put the link to the website um, up on our various social media. Uh, and that is at biofabradiointernational.com. You can find us on Tumblr at Radio Bookworm. You can find us on Twitter at Radio Bookworm. You can find us on Facebook at Radio Bookworm. Do not accept any other types of bookworms. We are Radio Bookworm. Um, you can also find us on Mixcloud at Radio Bookworm. Our owl is called Radio Bookworm, as is our raven, as is our whispering tree. Um, What's the whispering tree for? Oh, if you don't understand whispering trees, I can't explain it to you. Okay. If you're not a druid, I can't, I can't tell you the secret. Anyway, back to books. Yes, anyway. Um, my goodness, I appear to be quite softly spoken this morning. I apologise, listening. Um, yes, so there's an awful lot of very, very cool things and submissions and this sort of thing going on in the world of books. Um, 
and good luck. You should definitely, if you want to write comic books and you are British, then you should give 2080 a go. If you're not British, you should give them a go anyway, because they are an international comic book. Um, but, you know, you can travel to Oxford much more easily if you happen to live in Europe. What? Oxford is where 2080 are based. Oh. See. So, so, you know, if you're very successful, then you get to meet them. Do you get to go, oh, look, it's Fog. Because he's definitely a real person yes. and not a man mm. in an alien mask. No. So, yes. Shall we move on? Any other book news you want to talk about? Um, I can't think of anything that's terribly exciting. Um, by the by, if you are not from the UK and you're listening to the show and you're going, well, we have a comic convention and it's fantastic, tell us. <laughs> Please oh. get in touch via the social media. Because um, at the moment, the only one I know about is Spokane in 2015. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... that's in Spokane. Yeah. Other other literature. Spokane? Is in America? It's in Washington. Okay. Um, they, they have a whole the whole have a whole Sasquatch theme going on, which is why I like it because I'm a big fan of Yetis. Absolutely. Of course, you're a big fan of Yetis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can tell by the, your seven foot height and hairiness and things that yeah. you would be. Yeah. Uh, other literature festivals in November are Southwold, which is called Ways with Words, the Bridport Literary Festival, and the Folkestone Book Festival. Coming up next, I talk nonsense about books. Today in the show, we're talking about all things Warhammer. Um, we were talking about literary events, by the way. There is a thing called uh, the Black Library Weekender, which is also a Warhammer-style event. Um, you can find it via the Black Library Weekender website. Um, moving on, where I'm going to talk about Valkyrie the Bloody, which is written by Sarah Cockwell. Um, it is the second book, I believe, that she wrote for the Warhammer franchise. Sarah, we've had on the show before, she is a friend of the show, um, and she's a very talented writer. Um, I'm a bit of a fan, as you can probably tell just from my introduction. Valkyrie is a character from the Warhammer Fantasy series. Um, there are two Warhammer franchises, one is 40k which is essentially the Dark Ages in space, um, where everything's falling apart and there's big men in, in armour shooting things and hitting things and fighting demons. <laughs> and then there's the fantasy setting, which is a kind of... Take everything that you like about Dungeons & Dragons, cover it in mud, cover it in scrofula, give everyone plague, make sure that the heroes don't get rewarded at the end and they're instead just die and make it even more British and then you have pretty much what the Warhammer fantasy world is like. It's dark, it's muddy, it's nasty. Um, it, it's almost like they've boiled out all the kind of fluffy fantasy things. There's still dwarves, there's still elves, but you know you know that thing in Love the Rings where the dwarves and elves are like don't like each other and they yell at each other and it's, it's all jolly towards the end. Yeah, it's not as bad. They just leather each other and they, they, things like that. Yeah. They, they just absolutely despise each other <laughs> on a level that's beyond racism, um, and try and try and commit try and commit genocide every year, every other Tuesday, you know, because that's what they do. It's not a happy world. And one of the features of the Warhammer world is rather than rather than having Santa Claus at the North Pole, they have a big pit of chaos, a gateway to hell, um, where monsters and demons and horrible things lurk and come out. And living not too far away from this big whirlwind of hell is a lady called Valkyrie. 
shield bearer to the King Merok. Um, she is a um, the, the daughter of the chieftain. There is a tribe of warriors. They, they pay lip service to the gods of chaos because there's a big pit of hell just around the corner so they, they all go, they nod and they smile and they say, things, say nice things about the gods of chaos so they don't eat them. And they fight each other because it's a horrible barren wasteland with dribblies around the corner. So so they pretty much get on. At the start, when we first meet Valkyrie, she is a young woman, she is a warrior woman, woman and she has very much made her, her place in the tribe. This is a tribe that very swiftly learns that you do not, do not discriminate against the girls because they have spears and they'll jab it into you until all your bits stop hurting because you're dead. Sarah's writing is quite gory, it's quite visceral, it's quite bloody. And the thing about the main character of this book is that Valkyrie is a horrible human being. She, she murders, she tortures, she, she leads a tribe of barbarians to conquer, enslave and destroy other tribes of barbarians. It's not about a fall from grace then. She, she doesn't start as a nice person, is the thing. You kind of, you know, you have some sympathies. Um, she, you know, the, 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 when we first meet Valkyrie, she falls in love. She is a human being. She, she likes her pies. You know, she, she's a normal everyday person uh, who just happens to be a barbarian queen. Um, and as the book goes on, she becomes more and more brutal. And then there is this temptation that is drawn to her. And the, there's two temptations. One is of violence, and the other one is of not being violent and the, the kind of the easier life, the pleasure. You know, once once you've got your tribe to a certain point and you've enslaved so many people, you don't have to do any work. You can spend your time do, doing pottery and art, and spend it all in you know spend it all in the tub with some nice Bavarian men. You know, you can chill out. Um, and That's these, how it ends, right? Uh, uh, no, unfortunately. <laughs> and these, and these, obviously, these, these, these pleasures, these temptations, are offered to Valkyrie because, see, Valkyrie is torn not between two men, but she's torn between two gods. Uh, and there's the god Corn, and Corn likes, um, Corn likes nice summer walks in fields full of corpses. He doesn't. Uh, <laughs> full of corpses. Oh, right. Okay, he doesn't. Um, <laughs> He he likes nice, nice relaxing baths of blood. Yes, and then there is also Slanesh, who is the god of going too far. You know when you've been on a night out, and there's always that guy who goes too far and it gets messy. Slanesh, stop looking at me. <laughs> Slanesh is that god, but worse. Uh, you know he's like, oh goodness, I've gone too far and I've accidentally destroyed this entire civilization. Whoops. It well, wasn't me. It was just the booze talking. Pass, pass me the fondant. Um, Slanesh is, is the god of... He's not so much the god of pleasure, he's the god of excess, anything to excess. Um, so because as, as Valkyrie's star rises in murder and blood and gathering blood for the blood god, the, the god of excess goes, hmm, she, she likes murdering a little bit much, I'll pay attention to her. Um, so it sends agents to try and stop her not in a kind of you know not in a kind of Barry White style seduction but <laughs> more in a more in a sending creatures to tempt her onto a path of 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 easiness uh, she doesn't go for it because she's bloody and she likes being bloody and she likes killing um, 
inevitably she is betrayed. This is not a spoiler for the novel um, because it's pretty much in the preface. Um, she she almost she almost loses everything. She loses sight of who she is. She loses sight of her her, her life, her humanity, everything she has, and then she gets a choice, and she can either become a monster or she can walk away from the path of blood. I'll not spoil the novel for you, but it's an interesting choice that she takes. So, um, yeah. So that's Valky the Bloody. That's cool. Where, where can we get it? Uh, it is on Black Library. Um, you can get it uh, via Black Library, um, via their website. You can get it on ebook. You can get it via your local bookstore. Um, you can also get it at your game workshop. <coughs> mm-hmm. um, it is available mostly on ebook format because. I know they've printed a certain number of these. It's been out for mm. a few years. I have no idea if they've done a brace of reprints. You'd hope they do. But one of the things with Black Library books is that sometimes it's quite hard to find out where they're going. Yeah. Because um, sometimes sometimes they'll produce like a load of one novel and you're like, why? And sometimes they'll only produce another novel in ebook format. So Sarah Colquell's latest book, um, which is a Warhammer 40,000 one, um, is only available in ebook. It's about the fact that the first one sold really well, and you're just like, why, why, why do that? Yeah, uh, they, they, it's Black Library. They have some. I mean, as we're as we're about to discuss when it comes to uh, Beasts in Velvet, just coming up, mm. um, they have some. They've had some absolutely amazing authors in their roster. True, they've had some. They've had some not so amazing ones, but we'll not, no, let's not be mean. They've had some absolutely fantastic writers, mm. and yet. They, they seem to not treat them that well sometimes. Sometimes they treat them fantastically well, and sometimes you're just like... Mm-hmm. But anyway, Sarah Cockwell's Valkyrie the Bloody. You should read it. If you like if you like Warhammer Fantasy, you'll love it. If you like big monsters, you'll love it. If you like ladies kicking bottom into taking names, and you like fantasy barbarian queens, you'll enjoy it immensely. Very, very bloody, very bloody good. Zed Martin, welcome to the Bookworm. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you very much for having me. What can you tell us about your latest project, Iron and Blood? Well, I'm I'm very excited about Iron and Blood. It's a brand new series that uh, I'll be co-writing with my husband, Larry Ann Martin. And um, we've been working together. He's been working behind the scenes with uh, a lot of important pieces. And uh, this is the first time... We're actually uh, co-authoring something, so that piece is new. Uh, it's also a venture into steampunk, which uh, I've done short stories before, but this is a, uh, a whole series, book-length series, uh, set in, in a, uh, an alternative history Pittsburgh. So I'm very excited about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's very action-packed, um, you know, lots of, lots of cool gadgets and some interesting... Um, alternative history for a city that really does, I think, belong uh, right up there in steampunk great cities, because uh, for its time, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania was the heart of uh, steam-driven manufacturing in the United States back in the Victorian era. 
Why are we so fascinated with the Victorians? You know, I think it it doesn't hurt that we're about a hundred years removed from the Victorian era, so we've we're far enough away from it for it to seem kind of cool instead of being that dusty old thing that belonged to our grandparents. Um, I think there's some interest with the hundred year anniversary of the you know First World War that was just kind of on the tail end of that. Of course, that was past the Victorian era, but you know, still kind of pushing us back toward that turn of the, the previous century. Um, and I think, you know, there's there's just a freshness to it because steampunk is such a wonderful celebration of technology that never happened. The, you know, the, the ascendancy of airships, uh, you know, in a time when um, it wasn't all cut short by the Hindenburg, uh, the, the opportunity to do some cool gadgetry, the kind of James Bond approach, um, and you know those darn Victorians—they were—they were so dysfunctional and so interesting, and had so much style. What can you tell us about Clockwork Universe? Clockwork Universe was a Kickstarter anthology that uh, I have a story in, um, and it's—it's uh, it's done by a small press called Zombies Need Brains, and uh, did very well on Kickstarter. And the whole um, conceit of the anthology is steampunk versus aliens so the key thing with the uh, stories was they had to be steampunk and they had to somehow involve something uh extraterrestrial so that was a fun prompt and so what you have in there is a uh, story from uh the sound and fury adventures and they are kind of a spin-off subset from iron and blood uh with two government agents uh mitch storm and jacob dranga savage who work for the Department of Supernatural Investigation. And they have got their hands full with problem in New Pittsburgh. And you'll meet Mitch and Jacob again in Iron and Blood. They're not the main characters in the book series, but they uh, they do head up the uh, short stories that are set in a steampunk setting. How different is this project from your previous project? Well, you know, it's kind of fun because it's a completely different sort of thing. With the epic fantasy, with the Chronicles of the Necromancer series and the Ascending Kingdom saga... Um, that that is all medieval um, sword and sorcery, so very uh, you know catapult style technology, horses, swords, magic, and um, then of course with the urban fantasy modern day setting, Charleston, South Carolina. Um, again, very different. Now with Iron and Blood, we're we're going into a uh, hundred years earlier. Uh, we're moving into the Victorian era. We had to create uh, the whole alternate history for New Pittsburgh, which is a very interesting place and uh, somewhat of a departure from the real Pittsburgh. And so it's been a lot of fun writing three series that are radically different from each other. Uh, it kind of keeps, keeps me on my toes. Why Pittsburgh? Why Pittsburgh? Well, I lived there for 10 years, and I'm from north of there, so I'm very familiar with the area. But what a lot of people have forgotten is in the late 1890s, uh, from, from really the uh, 1860s on, Pittsburgh was the center of heavy American industry really until the 1950s. So Andrew Carnegie, Henry Clay Frick, um, the, the robber baron era of the Gilded Age, those guys were in Pittsburgh and they were making their fortunes. George Westinghouse, you know, in the real world, George Westinghouse had some discussions with Nikola Tesla and really never went anywhere. In my alternative history, New Pittsburgh, uh, George and Nikola team up to create the, the firm Tesla Westinghouse, which leads to some pretty cool uh, discoveries. So 
Pittsburgh was really the epicenter for invention and manufacturing at the time, steam-driven manufacturing. So to me, it just seemed like a natural thing to use it as a setting for a steam comp novel, and I was pretty excited about it because it wasn't something that had been used before. What was it like to work with your husband on this project? Well, I really kind of brought him along a little bit at a time. Um, you know, in the early days when uh, my first books were out, he was still working in corporate, and so really he didn't have time to do more than maybe read through the manuscript before I sent it off at the very, very end, just looking for those last-ditch typos. And then um, when he left corporate work and came in with me full-time uh, with the writing and, and uh, our business, then uh, he started to get more involved. And at first it was reading the manuscript earlier in the, in the phase so that uh, he could help me identify places where I needed to pick up the pace or fill in a plot hole. And then he got a little more daring about saying, you know, I think you've got some awkward phrases here. And then, it, then he got more daring and said, and I think maybe here, here's something to think about rephrasing. And then he started, you know, rewriting whole paragraphs. And that was really where I was hoping he would move. And so with, uh, you know, we, there's been a certain level of collaboration for several years now behind the scenes. And uh, so with Iron and Blood, it really moved into a whole new new place where he was collaborating with me on the plot from the very, very beginning, the character creation. Usually I'd show up with the plot and characters in mind and maybe come back and say, hey, I'm stuck on something. You want to talk about this? This one we really built from the ground up together. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we're usually very much on the same wavelength. We have very compatible work styles, uh, as long as we don't have to share a filing system. And um, it's, it's really been a lot of fun. What else can we expect? <laughs> well, I'm working on the fourth book in the Ascendant Kingdom saga, um, you know, of course, War of Shadows is the third book. It comes out in April, and then Iron and Blood comes out in um, late midsummer of next year, 2015. And then uh, the second Deadly Curiosities urban fantasy comes out in the fall of 2015, somewhere around the beginning of November. So I'm working on that second book in uh, the Deadly Curiosities series, and I'm working on the fourth book. Um, in the Ascendant Kingdom saga, which will be a 2016 release. Um, I also bring out a new short story every month in the John Mark Pahamian Adventure series or in the Deadly Curiosities series. So um, one story a month, and it'll bounce back and forth between those two series. And I still have a couple of anthologies that I owe short stories to. So, you know, there's really never a dull moment. Any advice? Well, you know, never give up on it. Just keep writing. And the more you write, the better you'll be at it. And it may not be the very first story that you ever write that breaks through. You you may have several stories that you write that don't quite get traction. But if you keep writing and keep coming up with new ideas, that'll, that'll happen for you eventually. I mean, you know, I wrote five book-length stories that'll never see the light of day. Five, you know, essentially five books. Um... And the book that did become the seminar, I probably rewrote more than 20 times. Um, there were a lot of times when I kind of thought this was never going to happen. But I had good people around me who said, yeah, you can do it. Hang in there. And I, I kept at it. And it, it did finally break open. What advice do you have for a 16-year-old version of yourself? Oh, I would tell myself not to take things quite so seriously and to hang in there and to, um, 
you know, to, to really believe in myself and to not let the naysayers get you down. You know, there are always people who know why something can't work and they're always wrong. But at certain times in your life, you're much more likely to believe them. And I, I would just tell her she was going to be okay. Which of your works would you like to see adapted into some sort of TV drama or even maybe a movie? Yeah, I think Deadly Curiosities would make a really fun um, TV series or movie uh, just because we haven't seen a whole lot of Charleston, South Carolina on uh, TV. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful city. It's not as utilized for urban fantasy as, say, uh, New Orleans or uh, New York City. It's got a lot of history, and it would make some great visuals. And uh, because Deadly Curiosities is a modern setting and the characters, I think, are different and pretty fresh, uh, I, I think it would translate well. I, I, I would love to uh, I'd love to get a phone call from HBO any day now. You know, that would make my day. What can you tell us about the next Deadly Curiosities book? Well, uh, the next Deadly Curiosities book doesn't have a title yet because I'm still writing it, but I'm sure we'll come up with something good. Right now it's, it's Deadly Curiosities 2, but we'll come up with something better than that. On when should we expect Iron and Blood? Iron and Blood will be out in the summer of 2015, uh, somewhere around late June, early July, so I'm told. And we do have uh, most of a cover for that, and it's going to be an awesome uh, book cover. Michael Comark did that, and uh, we're not quite ready to release it yet. They're still working on the typefaces and all that stuff. Uh, but it, I have seen the artwork, and it's just going to be truly awesome. Gilles and Martin, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. This was fun. So coming up next, I have an interview with Gail Z. Martin. Uh, we've talked to her before. She is completely lovely, and she's recently got a new, recently got a new book coming out. So we talked to her about that and the collaboration she did with her husband. Embrace the alternative with Fab Radio. This is Fab Radio International. Hello there. So, um, continuing with our Warhammer theme, um, I'm going to be reviewing Beasts in Velvet in 1992. Um, are we alright? Yeah. So, uh, that was written by Jack Yeovil, uh, who is the sock puppet, which is a much better word than pseudonym for uh, Kim Newman. Who, who is the film critic and popular horror book writer? I've met him, Newman. Yeah, he was lovely. I, I kind of he was just standing there in a crowd of people while people were being lovely to each other, and I was like, I was sitting there going. Is that Kim Newman? Is that Kim Newman? And then someone was like, Kim, do you want a pint? And I was like, oh, thank God, it's Kim Newman. And I was like, ah, I love it. I went, I went, you're one of my inspirations for, for being a journalist and an author. And he went, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> and then he was like, you do realise that stuff is still all me stuff. And I was like, do they? And I was just like, not really, but I just wanted to make you squirm. And I was like, oh, bless you. Uh, he's a lovely chap, he really is. Anyway. Yeah, he seems lovely when he's, whenever he's on television, because let's face it, whenever there's... You know, hundred greatest horror, whatnot, or basically anything about Dracula or Jack the Ripper. Um, he's got a soundbite. He's got a soundbite, and he's, he's a guy who's very knowledgeable about that sort of thing. And in 1992, um, probably within a year of releasing his Anno Dracula book, which was a um, 
which was a Jack the Ripper sort of style book about Dracula, uh, which we will be talking about last week because we're time travellers. Um, he released Beasts in Velvet, um, published by uh, the uh, well, it, it was it was I'm not sure what they called themselves these days. The Black Library reissued it in 2002. Um, but I, I don't think they were called Black Library when it first came out. And they started out as Black Flame. There's there's a, an entire, in fairness, we could do an entire like mini featurette about the history of what happened to the Black Library books. But yes, Jack the Oval was all the first wave um, through Doubleday and the like where they started producing the books. So they started off as mm. Black Flame. They're now Black Library, and I think they'll continue to be Black Library until, you know, and, until the apocalypse happens and the Chaos Demons eat us all. That's fair enough, that's fair enough. And I hope when that happens, uh, one of them looks a bit like Kim Newman. Uh, it's entirely possible. Um, but Blimey. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm a big, big fan of Kim Newman. I remember when I, I read this book when it first came out in my teens, and I read it again a couple of years ago, and it's still, it's still really impressive. So, Beasts in Velvet is set in the uh, fantasy universe that Ed was talking about earlier. So it is very, very dark. Um, the particular corner of, of this world that this is set in is, is the Empire, which is kind of geographically and historically uh, Austro-Germanic. Um, and yet, because he's essentially writing a Jack the Ripper novel, he's managed to make Altdorf, the capital, seem a lot like Victorian London. Um, <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, it's his area of expertise, so that's kind of what he's done. Um, it's, it's a very, very entertaining book. It's, um, so th- th- within, within the city of Altdorf, there is um, a murderer who started killing uh, prostitutes, and he's known as the Beast. Um, and just a bit like in real history, there are all sorts of rumours about who this beast was. Um, and the book circulates around the investigation of the identity of the beast. Uh, it could be one of several um, foreign ambassadors and foreign characters because the, you know, the Jack the Ripper murders inspired a lot of um, uh, xenophobia and things like that. Uh, it's uh, it's rumoured to be one of several noblemen um, because there was a lot of kind of pre-communist uprising things going on. The main characters are um, the Emperor's sort of best friend and, and elector, Baron von Mecklenburg, who has appeared in, in um, Jack Yeovil's previous Warhammer short stories, uh, going to those chaos wastes, hunting, you know, hunting for the evil chaos warlord that, that kidnapped his brother. Turns out it was his brother, but anyway, got his brother back, back in the game, in the politics game, and he's sort of tasked with bringing uh, this beast to to, um, to to be caught, killed, arrested, or whatever, because it's causing further uprisings. Uh, he partners up with a young lady psychic, um, not Genevieve Dudonne, who uh, I'll be talking about last week. I love it. I, I love. I love speaking in odd time travel tenses. It's the it's the warp. You see, it's changing. It's changing time and space. That must yeah. be it. That must be it. It's the warp. Um, but uh, he teams up with this young psychic and uh, a young detective from the Dock Watch and a couple of other hired hands that he meets up along the way. 
the beauty in this book, as with all Kim Newman's book, is finding the references. Um, there are all sorts of characters from history and fiction uh, all thrown in there. But with this being the Warhammer world, they've kind of given them slightly different names. Mm-hmm. So the, the sort of um, gritty ex-plod private detective that Johan hires to do the kind of grunt work and the street work, all the mucky work that he can't do because he's posh. Um, is called Filthy Harold, um, who has a special throwing knife by Magnin the Steelsmith. It's the heaviest throwing knife known to man. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you can kind of you can tell where he's going with this. It's it, the tongue is in its cheek in in some ways, but at the same time the writing's really good and really fast paced. I miss this about the um, the early Warhammer books because the later because Valkyrie the Bloody we were just talking about is so kind of dark and there's lots of murder and it's dark and it feels sometimes it feels like a teenager desperately trying to be a grown up in his bedroom mm. whereas whereas Kim Newman's stuff is just fun. It is fun. I mean, it is dark and dark because you know you, we find out the sort of the, the background bit of, of Filthy Harold and he is he is quite a tragic character but then at the same time he's kind of you're wondering whether or not I threw my knife, don't you? You know, that kind of thing, you know. Um, so it is, there's a lot of fun going on in there. Um, one of the chief suspects is a senior cleric um, who's also, you know, in that domain, is also a courtier called Mikhail Hasselstein. If you can get hold of one of the older copies, you'll see some lovely artwork in there. The 2002 version in front of me doesn't have artwork in but the, the original publication had all these portraits of the characters scattered throughout. And funnily enough, you know, Filthy Harold does look a lot like Clint Eastwood. And Mikhail Hasselstein does look a little bit like Tarzan from 70s and 80s politics. Um, <laughs> uh, yes. um, so all it, it's, it's fun in that way. And it's um, it's not light. It's extremely dark as... All these Warhammer novels are the, the the descriptions of the murders are graphic. Um, there's a lot of um, the themes that were thrown up by the Jack the Ripper murders are, are thrown up in this as well. So you've got the kind of pre-socialist revolutionary who may or may not be an evil priest of chaos. Um, you've got uh, the corrupt kind of decadent nobles who may or may not have been touched by chaos can you see the theme here how much of it is a product of its time how do you mean as in because we've got a fair bit of shall shall we say right wing politics being parodied from the 80s and 90s how much is it of that is an influence is the influence of its time um not massively uh, you know, the, some of the names are there, um, but I don't really see Newman as being a massively political writer in 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 a kind of time specific sense. He's got things which he likes to write about. Um, for example, last week, you know, we were talking about in Anno Dracula the the emergence of police state and things like that. Um, but I don't think he's he's, he's time specific. I, I I can't imagine him writing about UKIP if he was bringing out a book now, and it's not it's not like that at this point either. I think he, he, what what he likes are the, the struggles that were happening around Jack, the time Jack the Ripper. 
was 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 on, was on the streets, and uh, and, it, and he mirrors those, but in Warhammer World, um, in in Beasts and Velvet. So it's not. I don't think it's going to make you think about what it was like in the eighties. It is, as you say, it's a fun book. It's dark fun, but it is nevertheless a fun book. Sounds like people got some cracking names as well. Yeah, yeah, the, the names are brilliant, um, and he, he sort of throws um, guys like uh, names like Druitt. It, it turns up in there as well. He was a real suspect in the um, in the, the Jack the Ripper murders, and he turns up in in Anno Dracula as well. So Ooh. he's a real scholar. He, he's, he's a bit of a scholar of, of, of that whole law, and he in, and he knows his fantasy tropes well enough to translate it really nicely. Yeah, because. The real Jack the Ripper case, there was a lot of anti-Semitism around, wasn't there? Because yep. they were like, oh, somebody Jewish has done this. Yep. Or the alternative theory, as you mentioned about the aristocracy, was yep. some some member of the royal family and pick one of the following suspects yeah. in the royal family might have done it. And, th- and th- there was kind of pressure from, you know, the, the, the sort of... There's pressure on the main character in this as, as a sort of nobleman elector guy to try and pin it on one of the sort of rabble-rousers to, to try and get rid of that base, but he's because he, he's kind of a generically good guy. Um, he's he's keen on real justice. Plus the fact, you know, um, that one of the plot twists is that his brother, who used to be a chaos champion, but he kind of rescued, um, is one of the suspects. <laughs> so goodness, yeah. There's there's a lot of red herrings in there. It's good. <laughs> um, Kim does does write a, a good kind of. Well, a good thriller, basically, with his mix of definitely. You, you know, I I couldn't guess who the the killer was. Shall we? Shall we talk more about the world of Warhammer shortly? Shall we do that next? Yes. So tell us where we can get this book, um, or what it's called, and things. This is Beasts in Velvet. It's a Warhammer novel by Jack Yeovil. Um, having a brief look around, it doesn't look like it's in print currently, but you can get a lot of second-hand copies. Uh, what Black Library do do is they do a thing where they will print, they've started printing some of the older stuff under a, a, a label called Heretic Tombs, which is like a print-on-demand thing. So stuff like Inquisitor and the old Space Marine books. I love the Inquisitor you, book. Uh, you can get, but you have to, you order it, so it's it's got a premium because it's, you know, they're, right. they're, they're printing it out for you. Um, I have no idea what the rights are with the Kim Newman. She'd ask him, really. Uh, we have no idea what's going on with the Kim Newman stuff, but as you say, you can get a copy second hand. Or possibly try your local library. Try your local library. Try your local library. Uh, and also, also send an email to Black Library and ask them when it will be reprinted and available because they are they have made a commitment to bringing a lot of their stuff back. It would be a good idea because it's it's really really good fun. It does flesh out the world. Um, you know, in, in a very interesting way. I kind of, I, I would love to sort of play one of these characters in a game or something like that. And uh, let's let's talk about that coming <laughs> up next. the world 24 hours a day this is Fat Year International (laughs) 
So Warhammer is very much a product of the 80s, uh, to give an explanation as to where this entire franchise world came from. Um, Dungeons and Dragons was, was just absurdly popular in the, the 70s, uh, and the British outlet for Dungeons and Dragons products was called Games Workshop. Oh. Um, and there is a photo knocking around, which we might even stick onto the website at some point, um, of huge queues outside the shop in London, which was the first Games Workshop. Um, people waiting for the latest Dungeons and Dragons. And obviously they were like, well, we want a bit of that ourselves. So they produced their own version of Dungeons and Dragons called Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Mm. Um, the other game that was really popular at that time was a thing called Call of Cthulhu. And the, the, three, the three things that were really popular were Dungeons and Dragons, which is standard fantasy gaming. Uh, dwarves, elves, hobbits, but they call them halflings for legal reasons. Um, Call of Cthulhu, which is based on the works of H.P. Lovecraft, which we have to do a show on about at some point. But essentially, existential horror from beyond the stars is the best way to describe Absolutely. Of all the oceans or wherever else that we haven't explored yet. And, um, and finally, uh, the works of Michael Moorcock. Um, which was kind of like your fantasy tropes inverted. So rather than having uh, a barbarian hero who who becomes king, you have a prince who becomes a barbarian, pretty much, um, through through worshipping dark gods. Um, so these kind of three things kind of collided into the minds of some some chaps, uh, and they created the Warhammer world. Um, and it's very, it's very, it's very pun heavy as well. If you if you know enough, uh, if you have a smattering of European languages, you look at the various city names and town names, and you know some places are literally called beer is good here, and this sort of <laughs> silliness, um, which made translation as it became more successful. Translation became quite difficult because they'd put some, you know, fairly risky puns in certain places. It's but, like up at Altdorf. Alternative city. I don't know. What <laughs> could be. Well, there's all sorts of things that are um, the reflections of their own, because they were all quite young men writing these, 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 this game at the time as well. Mm. So, one of the skills, Flee, one of the Flee skills, which is a skill in the role playing game, comes from the fact that they got into trouble when they were out on the, the pop one night and they were like, Run away! So that's, a, that's a skill, though. I'll put that in the game. Running right. away when you, you're a bit tipsy. Uh, there's, there's, there's a reason why uh, I think one of the character classes was student. And students yeah. students had a 50% chance of having alcoholism, the skill. Wow. Because alcoholism, consume alcohol, was a skill. And alcoholism was also a, an ability as well as a, a mania that you could develop. But yes, so, so the, that was that, it, it was a world developed for a game that then inspired people to write books about it, pretty much. Mm. Um, and it's been going for 20, 25 years more, more and beyond. Now, occasionally, I think occasionally on this show, we do scratch our heads about Games Workshop because they're, they are primarily a toy, toy manufacturer that just happened to have two fantastic franchises, which we yeah. love. Well, they used to have three. They had the Dark Future stuff as well, didn't they? Yes. Uh, which Kim Newman also wrote for. Um, Dark Future is what, what post-apocalyptic. It is, yeah. It's uh, cyberpunk and post-apocalyptic kind of, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, don't, I, I still don't know why they abandoned that. To be honest, it's just one of those ones where you know they had this potential brand. Maybe it was just a little bit too. It was the least popular of the three, wasn't it? I it think was... probably they had to focus their market down. I don't know. Cyberpunk's on its way back, though. I mean, you know, cyberpunk. Cyberpunk never really went away as a genre. 
and that kind of you know end of the world, but technology is still here. I suppose it's so different from Warhammer and Warhammer Forty Thousand uh, as worlds. They are they are they are totally different things. But yes, um, the other thing, of course, is the Chaos Gods, which are common mm. in the Forty K and the Warhammer world. Well, I read a synthesis somewhere that the the, the the fantasy Warhammer world is in fact uh, a, a, a planet in the Eye of Terror. Uh, which is kind of in the forty thousand universe where the chaos gods live, and it's been it's been isolated by a warp storm, and that warp st- you know, uh, and uh, that's that. So, so they both exist within the same universe. That sounds like a wonderful justification to 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 mash. It's why it's why ca- it's why chaos champions in the fantasy game have got needle guns and stuff like that. It's fallen through the hole in space. <laughs> Yeah, that works for me. But the warp, by the way, is, is kind of it's basically hell, isn't it? Mm. Warp is hell, um, but in the the science fiction world, they fly through hell to get from A to B because you know they have better toll roads. <laughs> short version. That's it. Um, yeah, I mean that that sort of was before Event Horizon, though, wasn't it? Which is a movie about interstellar travel and there's there's hell. I think I think weirdly Warhammer has been quite influential on an awful lot of fiction. Given, given that it's incredibly derivative, is kind of it, it's it's where do the influences come from? It's just reflecting on itself. It, it is very odd, isn't it? Because it's it's as you say, it, it's been inspired by. Let's not use the word Stormwind. It's been inspired by an awful lot of other works of fiction. Yeah, I do find it hilarious when you meet uh, younger Warhammer fans, and they go, blah, 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 and you're like, you do realise that was originally Michael Murkoff, and they're like. Who's this guy and why is he stolen Warhammer? And you're like, wrong way round! <laughs> Are we not at the point now, though, in, in creative works where pretty much everything is derivative of something? And that's been the argument for quite some time. Well, well, There's one, an entire discussion to be had about this in a future show. Well, World of Warcraft, of course, um, is very derivative of the World of Warhammer, up to the point that when the Warhammer <laughs> people produced their, their, their video game, people were like, that looks like Warcraft. And they were like, Kind of. There have been cases, haven't there? There have been letters from solicitors and things and being sl- slung about there, has there? Uh, if, I yes. believe some people have very protective of their IP. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. Games Workshop are all about their IP, and it is an awesome IP. But mm. it is. But I think one of the reasons why it's awesome is because it just, it's all the angst all the time, slung into lots of different ways, and then it laughs about it. Yeah. And it, it, you know, there's a, there's there's incredible, it's an incredibly dark world. There's a world where you can, you know, you you swallow the wrong thing, or you say the you say the wrong thing, you think the wrong thing, you look at the wrong picture on the wrong wall, and suddenly, you know, you turn into a cockroach. Ugh. I mean, th- that's the thing that I liked about the, the Kim Newman stuff, that particularly Beast and Velvet. It is incredibly dark, but it does laugh about it at the same time. Um, I don't know. Is it still that way when you read when you read the the contemporary Warhammer novels? By the time we get to Valkyrie, the bloody though there are gags in it, and Sarah's very good at throwing in the odd reference and tries to throw in you know the kind of the odd meme joke and this sort of thing. Mostly, it's dark, and I think the better Warhammer novels are the ones where they still have their tongue rammed into their cheek and they laugh. Mm. So, because Sarah laughs at points in this, throughout the, you know, because the author is able to laugh, yeah, and at the same time, you know, there's a ho 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 ho. That's a that's a wonderful, you know, she hit it like you know, she hit it like the fist of God, and these kind of you know, daft kind of lines, and then mm. suddenly something awful happens, mm. and that really works. And I think the the, the more poor faced ones, 
and the more down the line ones are less effective. Mm. Uh, I'll not name names, but the more the more they tour the the kind of corporate image, the less funny they are, and the less fun they are. Um, but yeah, you still get ridiculous. You get still get absolutely crazy ideas because it is a world full of talking rats. We haven't even talked about the talking rats in our entire civilization. Uh, oh, Skaven. Skaven. Um, Guy Healy does some fantastic stuff in the Warhammer world as well. Um, and we're running out of time, gentle listener. So we're going to have to run away. <laughs> Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fab Radio International. Okay, so you can catch us on Radio Bookworm as Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. You can also find us on Mixcloud and iTunes. Please go to starburstmagazine.com, go on to the Bookworm site and also go on to iTunes and like and subscribe us. Love us, please love us. Uh, you can also find the station via fabradiointernational.com. They're on Twitter, they're on Facebook. I have been Ed Fortune and I have been Fabulous and now I am saying goodbye. And I've been Simon Lloyd and I've been kind of okay. The Book Room is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Siloid, produced by A.L. Johnson. <laughs>